So I'd like you to turn your Bibles uh, to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to pick up sort of where we left off before. Uh, and we the last half of, and I'm in New American Standard, so it's your choice whether you want to throw it. Well, we have New American Standard, So I'm going to read the second half of 19 through verse 31. Talking about Saul this morning still. Verse 19. Saul took food and was strengthened. Bear in mind, he had just been prayed for by Ananias to receive his sight. He was baptized, and, and so this is what's happening right after that. He took food and was strengthened. For several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He, Jesus, is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be stunned with amazement. They were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name? And he would come out here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests. But Saul kept increasing in strength. Confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. For many days of the last, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night, so they would be able to put him to death. But his disciples, verse 25, took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going in the fear of the Lord and conquered the Holy Spirit and it continued increase. So verses 20 through 25, which we're not going to emphasize this morning, uh, tell us of Paul's first experiences as Christian. He had gone to the masters around people up and carrying them back to Jerusalem, put them in jail, or worse. And uh, we see there that he was accepted by the Christians almost without any uh, need for introduction. He was accepted by the Christians, but the Jews hated his guts and wanted to put him to death. And so he had to be led out of town in a basket late at night just to save his life. And he could have gone anywhere. It's interesting that, that he chose to go back to Jerusalem. Could have run away, could have run anywhere. He went back to Jerusalem. Uh, the, the apostles in Jerusalem, verse 26, had a much harder time accepting Paul than Saul, than the ones in Damascus. You see, in those days, as it is today, you know, the good spy thriller, I don't know, but a good spy thriller movie or book or whatever always includes a double cross and a triple cross. I would hate to be a spy. You don't know whom to trust and whom not to trust. I am intrigued by those movies. I like a good spy movie, but I would not want to be a spy. I mean, you just don't know who you can trust. And then you get the director of your department, which actually is, it gets crazy. And so you, you can't blame the 
disciples, the apostles actually, in Jerusalem for not wanting to just bring Saul right in. I mean, was he a crosser? Was he a double crosser? Was he just trying to infiltrate them to, 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 you know, to capture the core of the core of leadership of the Christian church uh, in Jerusalem? So they were very standoffish towards uh, uh, Saul. They did not want, you know, they probably heard stories, oh, what do you say? And, and the position of Jerusalem that's nice. We're going to take the safe road. We're not going to let them infiltrate us. We're scared. We're scared that he might be a spy. We're scared that he might come and, 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 and try to do uh, things uh, to us. Look at verses 26 and 27. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was, I'll say, really a disciple. But Barnabas, and I would I love to preach a whole message on that, about how shallow their faith was, not thinking that a person that was so pathetic could actually be saved. Because let me just tell you, I'll preach it in 30 seconds or less. No matter how pathetic a person that you're thinking of right now might be, whether they're a relative or a co-worker or a neighbor, no matter how pathetic they might be, they are just an instant for being just as saved as you are. And when they are just as saved as you are, it is our solemn duty to accept them as such as kinfolk in Christ and uh, receive that. So no matter how bad they were, see that was these disciples wrong. They knew how evil Paul was. And they were not willing to warm up the end, but I know it's going through a second, but So they were all afraid and not believed that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and how he had talked to him and how the, at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. It says, but Barnabas went on his behalf to the apostles. Who is this Barnabas? We're first introduced to Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. He was one of the both. Barnabas was well connected. Barnabas was affluent. Barnabas had money, but he was one of the guys in Acts chapter 4 that sold a lot of land. It doesn't say that he sold everything that he had. We're not told how much he had. But at the end of Acts chapter 24, we're, so, we're told that Barnabas sold a formidable plot of land and brought all the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And what do we take from this? A, Barnabas was generous. B, uh, Barnabas cared about the health of the early church and he was willing to put his money where his mouth was. So Barnabas had good credentials uh, right out of the, right out of the uh, starting gates uh, with, with, with the uh, church. But here, this one nicknamed Barnabas. By the way, that was his nickname, uh, Barnabas. Uh, and Barnabas means, the reason they called him Barnabas, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning. By the way, does anybody know? And I keep it back. So don't be back and find out. Just tell me if you know right off the top of your head. They nicknamed him Barnabas. Do you know what Barnabas means? Barnabas, it says, and they called him Barnabas, which translated means son of encouragement. What we're going to talk about this morning, being a son of encouragement. And uh, this man named Barnabas here uh, played a crucial part in pointing Saul to the frightened apostles. Verse 27, but Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them 
how many had seen the Lord on the road. Barnabas showed three traits, that's what we're talking about today, Barnabas showed three traits essential for anybody hoping to be like he was, nicknamed the son of encouragement. I hope it would be nice, and, and to be honest with you, I think, I think I get kind of low grades here. So since I'll be able to preach to myself, I think if I low grades, I'm thinking being on the C plus. With me being an encourager. I hope you say, oh, no, Pastor Bill, but I hope you're telling the truth. We think you are an encourager. That's nice, but my own grading system, uh, this is not my strong suit. I want to do better. I hope as I preach to myself that I can, you know, learn a couple things and do better. I wonder how you grade yourself. When you think of yourself, before we dig through this sermon, I wonder if you, when you think of yourself, am I known as someone who encourages? First of all, we probably all know someone who's encouraging. Encouraging is not only just optimistic, someone who's optimistic, but someone who actually, uh, one of the best encourager guys in my life, so this guy's been gone for five or ten years. My childhood best friend, Harry Corey, had a dad who's named Hugh Corey. He ended up being the superintendent of the district up there in 1970. Every time I met Hugh Corey as a young man, he encouraged me. You see how I'm around that? I mean, I think about it, about how many people do we know in the Lord of the Life? We know a thousand people, whatever. But there's Hugh Corey in my mind. You know, when I see and think and read about a son, uh, a son of encouragement, Hugh Corey still sticks out in my mind. He met me, and, 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 and uh, I, I don't think he like live encouragement to me, but he was able to needle his way through my life and find something about me that was encouraging to me. He, he, just encourage me. And, and that's tremendous. And I uh, would like to emulate that about Barnabas. I would like to emulate that about Hugh Corey. I would like to be known uh, when people talk behind my back. I would like some of what they say to me. What do you know, Cliff? One thing about every time, you know, I leave, I feel better about my situation than I felt going into it uh, because Cliff uh, is encouraged. So, um, the first thing I want to talk about here are the three traits that uh, Barnabas seem to have. Well, number one has to start with discernment. Discernment. Uh, now, this is different from optimistic. I know some people, and I don't need to be talking to me about them, and I don't want you to not be optimistic because of what I'm going to say right now. But I know some Christians that are all about hopping around on cloud nine in their Christian walk. And they're all about, they're sort of flighty, they're high, they're, they're, they're really happy. This is not the encouragement that I'm talking about. This certainly is not discernment. I know people that are very happy, high, and optimistic with Jesus. And they're fun to meet, and they're fun to know, and, and you do, it is a little contagious. You do end up feeling a little better because you've met with something. But, but there's a difference between just being uh, optimistic and high and, and a sunny uh, personality. But some of those people, Totally lack discernment. Talking just a minute about discernment. So just because you're optimistic, just because you're sunny, just because you're cheerful, which are all nice things to be, we're talking first about discernment. I know some people that are very sunny in their Christian life, but they lack discernment. They're, they're, they're falling hard after this one, or they're falling hard after that one. Let me tell you, that Jesus said that the enemy come 
comes as a wolf in sheep clothing. He said at the end of time, uh, you know, there will be an increase of false teachers. Please do not be naive this morning and think that everybody that's on your Christian TV channel is a gift to you from God. There are those that are either shallow and weird and, and deceitful, uh, or shallow and weird and displayed, all the way to those that are absolutely deceitful. And I would for you that you had a smear of discernment on you. You see, because these sunny, optimistic, uh, I'll take anything in types, and I like sunny, cheerful Christians, so I'm not meaning to smack them, but they are prone to just embrace everything that comes in on that channel. Everybody that comes down to the, uh, you know, the conference center uh, downtown or over in Pensacola and just embrace it. Now, discernment, discernment is the ability to see through the facade on the front of a minister or ministry and appreciate and understand that underneath that facade, and, and you either learn this because you've been on the road a long time with Christ. In other words, what I'm going to admit to you right now is I'm not sure whether this is entirely spiritual or it's somehow a joint venture between spiritual and, 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 and physical wisdom. But having discernment means that you can see a ministry or a minister and not be taken hostage or taken captive by everything that comes out of their mouth or, or, or what they're, what they're uh, uh, selling. Now, I want to take a minute and teach you that there's a difference, a big difference, between being discerning. You see, now I'm just put it in reverse for one second and tell you why I'm talking about discernment. Because it's so important for Barnabas to rightly assess who Saul was in that moment. Everybody else had wrongly assessed who Saul was. Everybody else was scared of They used outside influences and they said, no, we are, the text says, afraid of him. We don't want to associate with him. He makes us nervous. He makes us scared. Barnabas had discernment. Barnabas had something in his spirit. Now remember, Barnabas was not one of the apostles. He was uh, folk like us, just the guy that sit in the pews. He was just one of the believers. And Barnabas had something coiled up in his spirit that, that, that said to him, Saul is cool. Saul, Saul needs us and we need Saul. This is why we're talking about sermon. This is why we're talking about it in the environment of encouragement. Because the first thing we need to be a good encourager is to have discernment. And now what I want to teach you briefly is that there's a difference between discernment and a judgmental spirit. I want to tell you that there's no shortage of Christians today with judgmental spirits. Discernment is a virtue. Judgmental spirit is a curse. Let me tell you the difference. So, uh, discernment is able to 
see an answer or ministry or a situation, whatever it might be, because sometimes it's not always an answer or, or a ministry. And discernment, when it sees that the facade, the front, the show, the apparent thing that it is, does not jive with what it really is, that it's really something out of filter back there, or worse, maybe even evil. The person with discernment, their heart is broken. And they grieve over the situation. And when called upon, they they render counsel that's true to what they have discerned. The key point being, they see it and their heart is broken. And when asked or when, when compelled, they speak the truth. That's discernment. A judgmental spirit, I, I don't think is as likely to be from God or orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. I think you're a little more on your own. Although a person with a judgmental spirit might be spot on. But the big difference between a person that has discernment and a person that has a judgmental spirit is that the person with a judgmental spirit almost is happy he's found some inconsistency and rather than being heartbroken, he can't wait to spread the news of why this person or this individual or this ministry is nasty and to be avoided. And so this is more of a judgmental spirit than discernment. So a person with discernment, they, they kind of both know the same thing, but it's how they react to it. A person with this discernment is first heartbroken. And, and second, uh, temperate in the way they uh, share that uh, news to other people. A person with discernment hurts in his own spirit when they see uh, someone whose heart isn't right, but is wearing a mask of spirituality. A person with judgmental spirit can't wait to talk to other people who are a little old mind he's found and how does that inconsistency and he you know it's the guy that, it's basically the gossip guy. The guy that just can't wait at over coffee or whatever to just talk smack about somebody else. It's not what I meant to talk to you about today, but let me just mention this as a little aside. Be very careful about talking smack about people, about people in ministry, and about ministries. Do a little bit of scripture, because they don't work for you. Okay, so let's talk about perverting Mr. Jones and his healing ministry. And maybe you know right well, he's not actually stretching legs or growing limbs. I don't even want to be at home in case you're either an advocate of or against a growing limbs ministry, but it seems like every five or ten years that somebody else comes along growing limbs out. Okay. It is what it is. However, you're convinced about that, fine. That's not why I grew up, that's not why I thought that. But let's say you're of the persuasion that that's malarkey. You'd be very about the traveling angels the strong lips and the stretching lips. Even if you really feel like it's malarkey, he doesn't work for you. He works for the Lord. And the Lord is capable of dealing with his, and, and, and 
complete. I'm using this as a hypothetical, and I told you at the onset that I'm not sure whether you're an advocate of or your your previous thoughts against the growing limbs guy. It's not. I'm just picking something that's close enough to home to where I know there's usually tension in the body for us there. I know people who can't wait to go and get their arms or legs uh, stretched with one of these guys. Okay. So I only picked it because it's an active example. I have to try to wrestle to the ground whether it's a, a, a real ministry or not. But the point is, if you're under the influence that that is malarkey, you know what I mean by malarkey? Say that. I mean malarkey. I would say that. Do we say malarkey? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so regardless of what you do, we said a lot about it. Now that's not to say that if you're a member of the church board or you're, 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 you know your influence is sought. You shouldn't say what God's put in your mind. But you aren't encouraged to grow them. And sad that you know, something's not what you've done now. But you don't pop snap. If your influence is soft, then you share the discernment that God's put on your heart. Barnabas uh, showed discernment. Secondly, Barnabas showed courage. Uh, you know, these weren't mere words for Barnabas. Oh, this Paul, you should accept that. That would just be a sentence. But that sentence stood on feet of courage. But, uh, if, if he were wrong about Saul, if Saul were really a double agent, seeking to infiltrate the bowels of the way, the Christian movement, find its leadership, and cut its leadership's head off. You see, we have the method of reading this long after it happened. So that we know how they were living in real time. All they knew was this guy had a terrible reputation. And uh, they weren't ready to make friends with him. And Barnabas came, he had discerned about Saul, and then he stood on bottles of courage and said a sentence, you guys need to accept Saul. Do you see where courage comes from? Because if he was wrong, he would be dooming the apostles. If he was wrong, he would be dooming himself, even his own family. In real time, they didn't have the benefit of knowing whether he was right or wrong. So he stood on a conviction of courage. Barnabas showed courage to go against the flow. What was the flow? In harmony, all 11 or 12, now that they left the other guy in that box, whatever his name is, all dozen of the apostles were flowing. They were flowing in one direction. They were flowing in the direction, we don't need Saul, let's tell Saul to go back where he came from. We're very content without Saul. Thank you, Saul, for coming. Thank you, but no thank you. And so they were all like fishes, going all one direction. And it would have been so easy for uh, Barnabas to just, even if he felt uh, a compunction to, 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 you know, to, 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 even if he knew it by discernment, it, it wasn't just that he discerned. We now have to put the little legs on this thing called discernment. And, and he had to take a stand of courage and swim against the flood. How many of us it takes courage to swim against the flood? The big reason being, uh, what if you're wrong? You're, what an idiot you've made of yourself because, uh, you know, you've swum against the flow and now you're wrong 
And he should have just kept him outside, but, but he couldn't do it. Barnabas uh, couldn't do that. He, he chose to go against the flow, even though if he was wrong, it could have meant death for himself and, and the church leaders. Uh, it, it would have been much easier for him to just go with the flow. But his name is Barnabas. He was a son uh, of encouragement. This, this was born in the spirit. Barnabas courageously stood on the convictions of his discernment. And he said, no, we need to accept uh, this man. Now, it, as a secondary effect of this character uh, position or quality that Barnabas had, the courage. And I'm going to preach on it today. I just want to observe it and leave it go. It was the glue that bound him and Paul together for a lifelong work of ministry together. Paul and Barnabas became a team. And I think what happened was Paul looked at Barnabas and, and maybe couldn't believe his ears that someone who didn't really know me didn't think this discernment is not knowledge. Discernment is the sense. And he took the courage to stand on that. And Paul said, boy, I know you're not one of the apostles. You know, one of the chosen ones, one of the church builders, one of the big wheels, one of the movers and shakers among the way. God should be wondering. You took courage. You stood on principle of what you knew to be true in your heart. And the risk that if you're wrong, it would be terrible things, you know, uh, yet you stood up for me. And so it was the glue that uh, held them together for a lifelong friendship, fellowship, and working together. This mere believer uh, was discerning and courageous, and finally uh, proved his uh, ministry work by the third thing we're going to talk about. And I talked about it a few weeks ago, remember, I told the story about my friend Ricky Thompson, the guy who worked in the electricals of high school. Do you remember what I told you his only ability was? He stood up and told us that I don't know how to get to speaking or Bible study that much. Uh, God put this on my heart and I said, Lord, I don't have any abilities. He said, You got one that I need. You know what I said it was? You have a failure. A failure. He told me that that's the only uh, ability that he had. So uh, Barnabas uh, showed discernment, he showed courage, and he showed uh, availability. Paul and Barnabas brought the gospel. He quit whatever his job was. We don't know what he did for work. The tent maker, we don't know the tent maker. We don't know what Barnabas did. Uh, he might have been a land baron. We just don't know. But he left that and brought the gospel all across Asia and Europe together as a team. Barnabas took Saul. Uh, listen, Barnabas took Saul. Paul. Let's just start calling Paul because I need the Barnabas. When I say Barnabas, think of yourself. You would want, I don't mean to say you would need like a big difference between us, but you know, we think of differences between the pastor and what's called the lay people. And I had problems with those expressions, but whatever. You know, he was a labor, he was a regular guy. He wasn't the preacher, he wasn't the apostle. He was the regular guy. And he took Paul, under his 
They're very smart in the Old Testament, Pharisees, Pharisees, all that stuff, I know. But the ways of Christ were brand new to him. They were unknown to him. They were yet discovered by him. Who taught Paul? Barnabas taught Paul the ways of Christ. Barnabas taught the one who would write a lion's share of New Testament doctrine and theology. Barnabas took Paul under his wing and he taught who would become uh, second Christ, the greatest teacher. Barnabas shepherded the man who wrote the entire uh, Bible books on leadership. Think about it. You got Paul who's writing, you know, Timothy and Titus and Ephesians and books about church leadership. He can under the influence and teaching and guidance. Uh, now, now, we know that the Holy Spirit, you know, moves on men to, to write how they write and all that. But the Holy Spirit just doesn't take some, you know, a ghost of a person totally empty of anything. The Holy Spirit moves through a guy that's already had some experiences and some education uh, under his belt. And it was Barnabas who uh, was available to not only say, guys, we need to let uh, Paul come among us, but then he chummed up with uh, Paul and he shepherded him. He taught him. He discipled uh, Paul. We know I don't think often think about Paul was one who needed to be disciple. All he knew was Judaism. All he knew was that experience that he had on the way to Damascus. It was real and it was powerful. But in terms of the nitty-gritty, the ins and outs, he had to be taught and all those things. And Barnabas, the encourager, took him under his wing. Encouragement is among the most important Christian virtues. Encouragement is among the most important Christian virtues. And I think it's the unsung hero. I mean, you know, we don't talk too much about it. You don't hear too many sermons about uh, encouragement. But it is a hugely important Christian virtue. Uh, think about the way uh, an encouraging word uh, has the power to help. Have you ever just been either humming along or humming along a little blue? We all hum along a little blue. We work all in, we're not like ready to jump off the bridge or anything. We're just a little blue. And someone comes up to us, some euphoria comes up to us. And says, you know, I really appreciate the way you do something. It inspires me when I think about you. All of a sudden, you're on a long little blue. And this person, just because of something they say to you, just totally shifts the way you're thinking about that day and the way it's going for you. And, and they have just encouraged you. And they have just made you feel really good about yourself and good about what the Lord's doing. Uh, in, in your life at the time. Just a simple, you know, I noticed you did a good job. Now I'm going to get the thought about here because something just came to me that I want to teach you. It has to do with showing appreciation. I'm just going to teach you something that I learned about 15 years ago. There's two ways, uh, there's a good way and a better way to thank or show appreciation to someone. Let's say Sam came up here and wash all the windows. They're really dirty, and Sam came up here and washed all the windows. The first way to show appreciation in the text is saying would be, Sam, I'm not told that you sneak up here and wash all the windows. And I know they were really dirty, and you can't know how they 
Now, is that good or bad? That's good, I think. But I learned, and I should do it. And, but I've learned that there's a better way, a little name for it that saves me, but it's like a third party kind of stuff like that. So what does that It's when I go to Marianne. I saw when I see Marianne. Hey, uh, Sam, you're going to leave my mom. Okay. Uh, everything going okay, Marianne? You're okay. Good. Do you know what? See, then what's going to happen she's, when he gets on the market, she's going to say, Pastor Tabai, he sure is tickled. He told me that he's tickled that you walked over the window. You see, so I just want to teach you that there's two ways to thank someone. So what you want is to just go to that person and thank them. And the other way is to figure out someone in their little circle of influence and tell that person how much you appreciate it. Uh, what that first person did. And it just will mean so much more. Now, thanking the person's nice and we're inappropriate. We're going to do that. But it will mean so much more and it will encourage them so much more. It's a little trick. That's all. It's like a oh, well, third person or third party thank you or something. Uh, and, and I don't ever do that. The Lord does never do it better. But it's one way we can do it better. But, but my point is just a simple comment like, you know, you did a great job on us and such. Or, uh, I'm proud of you. You know, a word got back to me that blah, 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 and I'm proud of you. Let me tell you something. That didn't cost me one red cent. didn't cost me a thin dime to say that comment to you. But you know what? It may have come to a point in your life where it was priceless. That somebody would stop what they're doing and say, Red, I'm proud of you. I heard this story, and I'm proud of the way you, you, you handled that situation. I'm proud that you called your friend. I'm proud that you called your, your pastor. You, you, you did that thing right. You see, I encourage him. And, and, and maybe he can't. Yeah, like I said, he's not ready to jump off the bridge, but maybe he's got a blue kind of day or a blue kind of week. And something that didn't cost me 10 cents, something that didn't cost me one red cent, I have spoken to his life. You know, in Proverbs, I would say it's in, 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 in chapter either 21 or 18. It's either 21 18 or 18 21. It, it said, Words of life and death, the power of that is in your tongue. In other words, you can either speak to someone and absolutely cut them to shreds and make them feel good. Ever met someone happen and say something nasty and you just like it bugs you all day? Not that you hate it, I don't know why I hate it, but they just make you feel terrible all day long. It's like, dang, why did they make me feel? Oh, my mom said that. Dang, why did you feel so bad about stuff? Why do they see your mouth shut that? Yeah, maybe it just gets under your skin and it bugs you all day long. Or, you can be someone like you poor. Because you know, I'm proud of you. I heard blah, blah, blah. And it sure, you know, wow. I knew you had it in it, but wow, you really showed out in a good way. And all the, 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 the power of life and death are in our very uh, words. I want to talk about one more element I want to show about that is you know the verse of scripture or the prophet of scripture where Jesus said, you know, when you lend the money, don't don't give it out only to people that you love to be paid. Even to thieves. But then you lend the money, just give it away. Even even to people that you know they can't repay, just give it. Even out of the place, some 
Shedding the love of Christ abroad to those who have been untied. I mean, everybody acted as a human being every day. 
judge our Savior, who will judge the bride, who will judge so many things. It's on the way. For power to be available to great encouragers for that purpose. Father God, uh, thank you for the example that, the poignant example that Barnabas was for us. And I pray the Lord that uh, we would be careful out of God. And uh, if there's things that would be discouraging, and they don't, there's no absolute need for them to be said, I pray that we would guard the gate or not. And not feel like we have to run around about every little thing we know, especially if it is a starting and hurtful people. In the same sense, I pray that uh, we would be creative, would be observant, would be discerning, courageous, and available to find a way to, to encourage people, to encourage Christians, to encourage people who don't have a clue that Christians are not, and to encourage people to clearly.